seated and turn with me to Ezra chapter 8. If you're viewing this in the Pew Bible, Ezra chapter 8. Uh, Pew Bible, pages 645 through 647. Ezra chapter 8, starting on page 645 and going through to page 647. Ezra chapter 8. Hear now the word of God. These are the heads of their fathers' houses. And this is the genealogy of those who went up with me from Babylon in the reign of King Artaxerxes, of the sons of Phineas, Gershom, of the sons of Ithamar, Daniel, of the sons of David, of the sons of Shechaniah, of the sons of Parosh, Zechariah. And registered with him were 150 males, of the sons of Peath Moab, Elio Hoenai, the son of Zerahiah, and with him 200 males, of the sons of Shechaniah, Ben Jehaziel, and with him 300 males, of the sons of Eden, Ebed, the son of Jonathan, and with him fifty males, of the sons of Elam, Jeshiah, the son of Athaliah, and with him seven males, of the sons of Shaphatiah, Zebediah, the son of Michael, and with him eighty males, of the sons of Joab, Obadiah, the son of Jehiel, and with him two hundred and eighteen males, the sons of Shelemith, Ben Josephiah, and with him one hundred and sixty males. Of the sons of Bibai, Zechariah the son of Bibai, and with him twenty-eight males. Of the sons of Asgad, Johanna the son of Hakatan, and with him one hundred and ten males. Of the last sons of Adonikam, whose names are these, Eliphalet, Jael, and Shemaiah, and with them sixty males. Also the sons of Bigvi, Uthai, and Zabad, and with them seventy males. Now I gathered them by the river that flows to Ahava, and we camped there three days. And I looked among the people and the priest and found none of the sons Levi there. Then I sent for Eliezer, Ariel, Shemaiah, Elnathan, Jareb, Elnathan, Nathan, Zechariah, and Meshullam, leaders. Also for Joyrib and Elnathan, men of understanding. And I gave them a command for Iddo, the chief man at the place Cassiphiah. And I told them what they should say to Iddo and his brethren, the Nethinim, at the place Cassiphiah, that they should bring us servants for the house of our God. Then by the good hand of our God upon us, they brought us a man of understanding of the sons of Malai, the son of Levi, the son of Israel, namely... Sherebiah with his sons and brothers, 18 men, and Hashabiah, and with him Jeshiah of the sons of Merari, his brothers and their sons, 20 men, 
also of the Nethanim, whom David and the leaders had appointed for the service of the Levites, 220 Nethanim. All of them were designated by name. Then I proclaimed a fast there at the river of Ahava, that we might humble ourselves before our God, to seek from him the right way for us and our little ones and all our possessions. For I was ashamed to request of the king an escort of soldiers and horsemen to help us against the enemy on the road, because we had spoken to the king, saying, The hand of our God is upon all those for good who seek him, but his power and his wrath are against all those who forsake him. So we fasted and entreated our God for this, and he answered our prayer. And I separated twelve of the leaders of the priests, Sherebiah, Hashabiah, ten of their brethren with them, and weighed out to them the silver, the gold, and the articles, the offering for the house of our God, which the king and his counselors and his princes and all Israel who were present had offered. I weighed into their hands 650 talents of silver. Silver articles weighing 100 talents, 100 talents of gold, 20 gold basins worth a 1,000 drachmas, and two vessels of fine polished bronze precious as gold. And I said to them, you're holy to the Lord. The articles are holy also. And the silver and the gold are a freewill offering to the Lord God of your fathers. Watch and keep them until you weigh them before the leaders of the priests and the Levites and heads of the fathers' houses of Israel in Jerusalem in the chambers of the house of the Lord. So the priests And the Levites received the silver and the gold and the articles by weight to bring them to Jerusalem to the house of our God. Then we departed from the river of Ahava on the twelfth day of the first month to go to Jerusalem. And the hand of our God was upon us. And he delivered us from the hand of the enemy and from ambush along the road. So we came to Jerusalem and stayed there three days. Now on the fourth day, the silver and the gold and the articles were weighed in the house of our God by the hand of Merimoth, the son of Uriah the priest. And with him was Eleazar, the son of Phinehas. With them were the Levites, Jozabad, the son of Jeshua, and Noadiah, the son of Binuai, with the number and weight of everything. All the weight was written down at that time. The children of those who had been carried away captive, who had come from the captivity, offered burnt offerings to the God of Israel, 12 bulls for all Israel, 96 rams, 77 lambs, and 12 male goats as a sin offering. All this was a burnt offering to the Lord. And they delivered the king's orders to the king's satraps and the governors in the region beyond the river. So they gave support to the people and the house of God. Beloved congregation of our Lord Jesus Christ, 
as we continue our series in the book of Ezra. Today we are looking for the third time at Ezra chapter 8, in which God graciously enables Ezra to return to Jerusalem. God graciously enables Ezra to return to Jerusalem. I remind you all again that we're now in the second act, if you will, of the book of Ezra, the first act, chapters 1 through 6, and now the second act, chapters 7 through 10, occurring about 70 or so years after the events of the first six chapters. This is now where Ezra himself, after whom the book is named, presumably he's the author of the book as well, although there's some controversy over that. But in any case, this is where Ezra himself, starting in chapter 7 and now into chapter 8 and following on, is going to play a major role. And so God graciously then enables Ezra to return to Jerusalem. And you'll see, of course, in chapter 7, that there was sort of an overview of this, of this return, an overview including the ability that he had um, by means of Artaxerxes uh, to come back into the land. And now in chapter 8, we have the details, if you will, the details of St. Ezra's return. Now, in the first sermon on this chapter, we talked about the people of Ezra's return, looking especially at verses 1 through 20. Notice again the heads or the chief of their fathers, verse 1, and then it's listing all these people, all these, these genealogies here, all these people. But you also have the Levites and the Nethanims, the Levites, the priestly tribe, the Nethanims, the temple servants. And as I noted in preaching that sermon, as I applied it, I, as you may remember, I said, embrace salvation. Embrace salvation. That what you have here in terms of Ezra is the call to join up. Remember, children, the illustration I gave about the, the fellow at Penn Station saying, all aboard. And so the, the call then to join up and to go back into the promised land as an act of faith. And indeed, rejoice then in the divine plan of salvation, including the fact that the people needed to come back into the land in order to do what? To set up for the Lord Jesus to come from the line of David. So the people of Ezra's return, then last time, the provision of Ezra's return, verses 24, 30, and 33 through 36. The provision of Ezra's return, we see the various overseers here, and then all this material, all these material possessions, a whole bunch of silver and gold and bronze and so forth. But notice the important thing there is found in verse 28. And I said to them, Ezra said to them, you are holy to the Lord. Articles are holy also, and the silver and the gold are a freewill offering to the Lord God of your fathers. You are holy. That's the essence, the holiness it's not the material itself. It's the holiness. It's the dedication. 
to the Lord. But then also, you'll see in verse 35, one of the reasons why all this was given is in terms of providing for the sacrifices. And again, that's really so important, isn't it? The offerings, these burnt offerings, if you will, showing the, the whole dedication, the burnt offerings, everything's consumed. And all of those, of course, pointing as well to the, the sin offering, 12 male goats as a sin offering, because sin has to be taken care of. It has to be atoned for. There has to be a sacrifice. And, of course, all of those sacrifices were pointing to the one great sacrifice of Jesus Christ at the cross. Well, having seen the people of Ezra's return, the provision of Ezra's return, we now come, thirdly, to the protection for Ezra's return. The protection for Ezra's return. Verses 21 through 23 and 31 and 32. And one of the things that we note here as we talk about the protection for Ezra's return, we look at the means, notice that these are not human devices. These are not human devices. This is not how you and I would probably do things. If we're going to transport all, what would we do? What would we do, children? What would we, we'd get a, an armored car, right? We'd make sure the army was, was ready. We'd make sure that we had armed guards and so forth, security guards. We'd make sure that they were available and so on. But that's not what Ezra did. Now, two things, then, are involved here. First of all, fasting, but, of course, fasting is bound up with prayer as well. So we're going to look at both of those things, so fasting and prayer. Fasting, as you may be aware, is an occasional element of worship. That is, say, you don't do it all the time. Why would you engage in fasting? Well, if God impresses something upon your heart, you feel that you should fast, then please do. Or... There are times when we are called, for example, as a presbytery. You may remember a year ago, October, we had a time of fasting in our presbytery. And that, I know here in this congregation, that was a special day here. There was a real calling upon God uh, during that day and as we came together that evening. And so we, we, we know that there are times when we are called about, or if it's the civil magistrate that calls us to days of fasting because of some emergency or whatever it may happen to be or some particular mourning for a situation. But it, so it's an occasional element for particular purposes. So what are the reasons then in terms of fasting? Well, it could be grief over sin. Grief that is so deep and intense that all desire for food is taken away. And so fasting, in a sense, is the natural expression of deep sorrow for sin. So grief over sin. Maybe you're, you're just overwhelmed. You're just, you've come to a point, you realize, oh God, what have I been doing? What have I done? And so fasting would not be inappropriate. It is also an aid to devotion furnished by a body unburdened by food. 
so as to leave the mind and heart in their most free and active condition. I, I believe I'm quoting a commentator here with uh, some of this wording here. It's an aid to devotion furnished by a body unburdened by food, not preoccupied with food, so that the mind and the heart can be in their most free and active condition. Is that not what we see, for example, in terms of the Lord Jesus in Matthew chapter 4? In Matthew chapter 4, Jesus was led by the Spirit into the wilderness to be tempted by the devil. And when he had fasted 40 days and 40 nights afterward, he was hungry. And of course, you know the temptations that Satan afflicted him with at that time. So Jesus himself, he wasn't burdened by sin, but nevertheless, even Jesus, in terms, because he is the God-man, engaged in this discipline of fasting. And of course, you find here, do you not, this spiritual struggle as well in terms of fasting. You see that spiritual side of this, um, we saw that in our other scripture reading today from Matthew chapter 17, where you remember um, uh, Matthew 17, a man, verse 14, a man came to Jesus kneeling down to him and saying, Lord, have mercy on my son, for he is an epileptic and suffers severely, for he often falls into the fire and often into the water. So I brought him to your disciples, but they could not cure him. And Jesus answered and said, O faithless and perverse generation, twisted generation, how long shall I be with you? How long shall I bear with you? Bring him here to me. And Jesus rebuked the demon, and it came out of him, and the child was cured from that very hour. Then the disciples came to Jesus privately and said, Why could we not cast it out, the demon, out? So Jesus said to them, Because of your unbelief, Surely I say to you, if you have faith as a mustard seed, you will say to this mountain, move from here to there, and it will move, and nothing will be impossible for you. However, this kind does not go out except by prayer and fasting. So fasting, then, is appropriate in terms of the spiritual warfare in which we are engaged. There are also special times of dedication or of seeking God's will special times of dedication, or seeking God's will. We find this, uh, for example, um, uh, in the uh, book of Acts. Uh, Acts uh, chapter 9, verse 9, speaking of Saul, now Paul, soon to be Paul, and he was three days without sight, and neither ate nor drank. So he was just astounded, if you will, but it was also a way then of, of not only showing his dedication to God, but also seeking his will. Uh, we find this in Acts chapter 13, verse 3, in terms of setting apart, setting apart these men for the ministry, then having fasted and prayed and laid hands on them, they sent them away. And in chapter 14 of Acts, chapter 14 of Acts, in verse 23, 
So when they had appointed elders in every church and prayed with fasting, they commended them to the Lord in whom they had believed. And so there are times then, special times of dedication to the Lord, or perhaps of seeking God's will. I well remember my first roommate at Westminster Theological Seminary, Tom Reed, some of us know him, and uh, in the spring of 1977, he, he wanted, there were three things he wanted to do. He wanted to join the Reformed Presbyterian Church. He was part of the Orthodox Presbyterian Church, one of our sister branches. He wanted to go to France, study at the seminary at Aix-en-Provence for his Master of Theology, and he wanted to marry a French girl. He wanted to do all three of those things, but, he, but in order to do that, of course, he, part of that, at least, he needed to get to France. And I well remember one Saturday uh, in the spring of 1977, he spent the day in prayer and fasting, seeking God's face in terms of what God's will was. So fasting can be appropriate for that. And the fasting is also appropriate for times of national disaster or imminent danger. So look at 2 Chronicles chapter 20. 2 Chronicles chapter 20. Second Chronicles chapter 20, page 608, if you're using a pew Bible. Second Chronicles 20, it happened after this that the people of Moab with the people of Ammon and others with them besides the Ammonites came to battle against Jehoshaphat. Then some came and told Jehoshaphat, saying, A great multitude is coming against you from beyond the sea, from Syria, and they are in Hezazon Tamar, which is in Gedi. And Jehoshaphat feared and set himself to seek the Lord and proclaimed a fast throughout all Judah. So Judah gathered together to ask help from the Lord, and from all the cities of Judah they came to seek the Lord. Here we've got this national disaster, this imminent danger, if you will, and what does the king do? He proclaims a fast before God, which of course is exactly what we see here in Ezra chapter 8 as in verse 21 through 23, as we've been looking at here. Here there is this imminent danger, and so the people are called to fast before God. We find this in the next, uh, uh, not the next book, but uh, Nehemiah, but Esther, the one after that, Esther chapter 4. Esther chapter 4, you remember how Mordecai had asked Esther to go to the king, and she said, if I, if I do this without his calling me, I'm in grave danger. And so verse 15, then Esther told them to reply to Mordecai, go, gather all the Jews who are present in Shushan and fast for me. Neither eat nor drink for three days, night or day, my maids and I will fast likewise. And so go to the king, which is against the law, and if I perish I perish. And so that's another reason to engage in fasting, imminent danger, or perhaps national disaster. So what is the essence then of fasting? Well, of course, it is afflicting ourselves before God by means of abstinence from food and or 
water. It is consecrating ourselves anew to God as we fast. It is repenting as appropriate. It is seeking God in a right way. Seeking God in a right way. Verse 21 of Ezra chapter 8. To seek from him the right way for us and our little ones in all our possessions. And is also affirming the priority of the spiritual over the material. I'm not suggesting here the material is evil or anything like that. And yet it is a way of emphasizing that there is something more important even than uh, the bread that we eat or the water that we drink. And so fasting, and then accompanying that prayer, that's the whole point. You fast in order to free yourself up to seek God's face and to pray. Reminded in the Westminster Shorter Catechism, question and answer 98, what is prayer? Prayer is an offering up of our desires unto God for things agreeable to his will in the name of Christ with confession of our sins and thankful acknowledgement of his mercies. And so fasting and prayer. And as they prayed, they prayed, they sought God for the right way. Verse 21, the right way, the proper path for us and our little ones and all our possessions. They committed themselves to the guidance of providence. They put themselves under divine protection and they begged God to guide them in their journey and bring them safely to its end. Notice that again, this is the extent, us, our children, and all that we have. Now why do they have to ask for God's protection? Well, there were many obstacles. They were strangers in the way. They didn't have a pillar of cloud or fire to lead them. They were to march through hostile territory with bandits abounding. There were spiritual enemies that could attack and hinder them. Let's not forget that the enemy, that, that what is behind those enemies that might physically attack them was a very cunning spiritual being, namely Satan. And so the first thing is there were many obstacles, many problems, many dangers that they might face. But then secondly, why did they do this? Why was this their, their um, method of defense, if you will? Because they didn't want to be ashamed. You see, Ezra had declared to Artaxerxes, what a great God Yahweh or Jehovah was. And how stupid, perhaps? Foolish, maybe? For Ezra to have requested protection for the Lord's people. God is the one who promised his watchful care. God is the one who is totally bound to us by covenant. 
God is the one who is totally sovereign. And the same God who led Ezra back into the land would protect them. And Ezra wanted to make sure that King Artaxerxes and the entire world knew that that was the case. Well, we see then the deliverance in verse 23. So we fasted and entreated our God for this, and he answered our prayer. And we see also in verses 31 and 32 that the hand of our God was over us, was upon us, and he delivered us from the hand of the enemy and from ambush along the road. He did deliver from the enemy, from those ambushes. And furthermore, they then, notice verse 32, they tarried in Jerusalem three days, rest from their long journey. Now, I have two points of application today. The first is this. Pay attention to matters of religion and worship. Pay attention to matters of religion and worship. Notice as you look at this passage here, the accuracy and the care in divine things, in religious matters, if you will. There was no sloppiness here. There was no carelessness. They, there was a, a, a direct accounting, a, a definite accounting of all these things that had been gathered, especially in handling the temple treasures. But my friends, as we would apply it, we would say, especially handling the ultimate temple treasures, namely the gospel itself. We need to be as careful as those who were here in Ezra's day. Furthermore, we should not be hesitant like the Levites were. You remember back in verse, uh, back in verse uh, 15, where it says, where Ezra says, I looked among the people and the priest and found none of the sons of Levi there. What a shame that was. May that not be true of us. May it not be true that we are, are reluctant in, or hesitant like the Levites were. But as we see in our text today especially, we need to be careful in terms of our prayer life and also as occasion presents itself in terms of fasting. I dare say, that we are all very lax in our prayer lives. Certainly I confess that. And we don't know too much about fasting either. But here, Ezra, can you, can you sense the intensity of it? Can you sense the, the looking to God in terms of this? The heartfelt crying out to God. That's what is indicated by means of the prayer and the fasting. And so pay attention then. Give careful heed to matters of religion and worship. And then secondly, depend totally upon God. Depend totally upon God. I'm reminded of a number of places uh, in Scripture where this lesson is taught. Isaiah chapter 31 
Woe to those who go down to Egypt for help and rely on horses, who trust in chariots because they are many and in horsemen because they are very strong, but who do not look to the Holy One of Israel nor seek the Lord. Don't trust in horses or chariots. Psalm 127, we all know that, except the Lord build the house. They labor in vain that build it, except the Lord keep the city, the watchman, makes but in vain. And Philippians chapter 4 and verse 6. Philippians 4 and verse 6, where Paul tells us in Philippians 4, Philippians 4 and verse 6, be anxious for nothing. Be anxious for nothing. Don't be, don't be upset. Don't be anxious. Be anxious for nothing. But in everything, by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, let your request be made known to God. And so we need, then, to learn to depend totally upon God. There are many temptations for us to trust in our own strength and wisdom. We turn more often to others than we do to God. The spiritual side is often forgotten in our daily lives. On their pilgrimage back to Jerusalem, the people would have been reminded of God's presence and providence. They would have been reminded of those things as they, as they went back, perhaps singing the songs of ascent in terms of their going back to Jerusalem. They would have been reminded of those things. And so we too must be reminded of them. But my friends, I don't want to end just there. I need to say very distinctly to you that to depend on God really means to depend on Christ. He is the one who has promised to be with us and never to forsake us. He is the one who protects us against our enemies along the way. And he is able to do so precisely because he is a mediatorial king. He is a king who has sacrificed himself at the cross. And because of that, it's because of that that he is able to offer this protection to us. We saw that that theme back in chapter 3 of Ezra and verse 3. Remember when uh, a few months ago when I preached on that passage? It's very, uh, very interesting there. Verse 3, because fear had come upon them because of the people of those countries. And so there was fear, was there not, in terms of the people? There was fear. The, the, the spirit, undoubtedly, the, the spiritual uh, battle that was there. But remember from the poem, from every stormy wind that blows, remember the, remember the, the lines, 
Oh, uh, whither could we flee for aid when tempted, desolate, dismayed, or how the host of hell defeat had suffering saints no mercy seat? You see, it was by means of sacrifice that their people were showing their trust in the atonement, were showing their trust ultimately in Christ's sacrifice, looking forward to that in faith. And so in a similar way then, we see in terms of their dependence upon God, it is actually their dependence upon Christ as they are looking forward to the sacrifice that would come. Let me remind you that fasting is not meritorious. You do not earn brownie points with God by fasting. Fasting and prayer instead are manifestations of faith looking to what God has done, looking to what Christ has done, giving you the ability to do that, to to look to Christ and putting that faith into effect. And my friends, even as Jesus is that spiritual rock, 1 Corinthians 10, who accompanied the children of Israel in the Exodus, even so, Jesus is the one who is with the Jews as they trekked back into the Holy Land. And so, my friends, depend totally upon God. Do so by faith and faith alone. Put that faith into practice as you cry out to God and as God calls you to do so as you fast before him. Join these Jews on their trek back to the Holy Land. Amen. Will you please stand for prayer? And Father, we pray that thy Holy Spirit would apply this message to our hearts, enabling us, O God, to love thee more, to serve thee sincerely, to be committed to thee with great desire for thy glory. May that be the case. Give us the grace of a spirit of prayer. Enable us, O Lord, to reach out to thee, to trust in thee, to rely upon thee, and to do our duty along this pilgrim way. We pray in Jesus' name.